Council joining you, and you can reply and say, hey, it was, it was great that you joined us this morning. You know, I miss you. Um, Bonnie Lou Randolph, good morning. She's, all right, I'm going to get out of that. Is that okay? So I know I've said this over and over and over again, but God is just so amazing when he puts series, sermon series together. And um, I don't know if I've told everybody this or if you've heard this yet, but, you know, about, I don't know, three, four months ago, we were looking at the, the fall and trying to decide what to preach on, and I needed to do a book of the Bible. We've done some quite a bit of topical stuff, and I like to do at least two or three books uh, throughout the course of the year. And, and I don't know, I didn't open my Bible and point, but it was sort of that way. You know, it's, it, it was like as I was praying about it, I hadn't, I hadn't really studied 1 Peter before, and I thought, well, let's do 1 Peter. Right? And, and here we are, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 through 25, and it is just unreal and supernatural how relevant it is for where we're at today. Seriously, today. And in fact, I'm not all that excited about preaching this today, um, as you will find out as we go through this, that it's, it's not something that, well, it's not something we hear a lot. So I, I want to start out this morning. Have you, have you ever been a, a stranger in a foreign land? Have you ever gone to another country, spent significant time there, where you were just completely different than 99.99% of the rest of the people? Uh, I went on a mission trip to Mexico City one time. There was like 30 of us Americans in the heart of Mexico City for three months. And we weren't all together all of the time. Um, We traveled in pairs. So I was with another guy, a friend from high school by the name of David Petch. And um, we we would get on a bus and we would be the only two white-skinned guys within, I don't know, miles, I'm sure. All eyes on us. It, it is uncomfortable. It, 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 it makes you feel like a foreigner. I mean, because we were, right? Um, how many times do we... Uh, how many times do we as Americans go to a foreign country and are just arrogant enough to think that they should sort of pander to us. How many times have we or you gone to a foreign country and thought, man, this should just be easier. Um, Why don't they treat me right? Or why don't they speak my language? Or or, um, how dare they take three hours to have a church service? That's not what I'm used to. Or I can't believe how dirty this place was or how, how, uh, or this place was. It's, it's not like that in my home or it's not like that in my city. Or did you see how disrespectful that police officer was? Or can you believe their government? How corrupt it is? Prideful, demanding of our rights, sometimes even demanding the freedom to do whatever we want. I mean, it's an interesting time in our history to wrestle with this passage today. Now, if you'll know, we should have been in this passage last week, but something happened, and and I did the introduction the first day, and we skipped a section, not again, not because I thought, well, we should be doing this passage this day. This is the passage God has for us today. 
See, in our country, we like to lean heavily on the final version of the Declaration of Independence, which declares this. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Yes, definitely, okay, true, men and women created in the image of God, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, and unalienable rights means rights that cannot be taken away or transferred. That among these, these unalienable rights, who have been given to us by God, the Declaration of Independence says, are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So, according to the Declaration of Independence, God gave us life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness, and those can't be taken away. And we often define liberty as freedom. Okay? Freedom to do whatever we want, whenever we want, wherever we want. And we find ourselves when the government infringes on that, when the government says, no, you don't have that freedom or you can't have that freedom, we arch our back and say, oh, yeah, watch this. And any and all infringements is bad, it's wrong. This is the attitude that we often take. And we may also see liberty as freedom from responsibility. Again, freedom to just do whatever I want, whenever I want, wherever I want. Okay, and, and I've thought about this, and I like the sentiment. Uh, I, I think it's great for a unifying motto for a, for a nation, and, and I think it sort of establishes the baseline and the, the platform and the foundation for, for a democracy to be built on, okay? But, but Peter seems to indicate in actually our passage today that this, this looks a lot different for Christ followers than it does for people who are not Christ followers. We are actually chosen for and called to a whole different lifestyle than what our Declaration of Independence says. But we would like to hold on to that as sort of our Bible and say, that's where we get the rights, that's where we get the freedom, that's where we get the liberty, but that's just not true. For we are not independent. We are and need to be very much dependent on God. Our creator and our savior. And I'm telling you, it was a struggle preparing for this message this morning because I want to side with the secular world on this. I want to side with what I determine are my God, my God-given, according to the Declaration of Independence, rights and liberty are. That's not how God operates. Now, I don't want those rights to be taken away, but here's the thing. God can do whatever he wants, and we better just get used to that because really, ultimately, that's what's best. It may not be best for us in the short term, like a child getting a spanking. That doesn't really feel like what's best for them and doesn't feel to them like that's what's best in the short term, but as a parent, you know that this is what's best for them in the long term. We have a different goal in mind. 
And we need to recognize that God's goal for our nation may be different than what ours is. Now, I don't like it. I don't like to think about that. But when it turns out the way it turns out, it's going to beg a question. Do you really believe God puts leaders in power or not? Because like them or not like them, I think we're going to see today that God puts them where he wants them to be and uses them how he wants to use them. And sometimes in the short term, that's going to cause suffering, which is what the people that Peter's writing to are experiencing. God can grant our freedoms and our liberties, and he can take them away. How many times as a parent have you thought, I brought you into this world, I can take you out? (laughs) Right? That's God. That's God. We sing songs about that with smiles on our face, sometimes not realizing the depth and, and what, the truth of what we're really singing. So, what are we called to do? Well, it can be summed up in one word. One word. One word that we don't do so well in the United States. A word that we struggle with on a daily basis in our marriages. A word that we struggle with at work. A word that we struggle with. We even see it in our entertainment. We even see it in professional sports and competition. Any, anybody have an idea of what that word is? Amen. And it's in your notes, I know, because I didn't block that one out. But yes, it's submit. And too often we think that is a bad word, that's a negative word, that's a lay down like a doormat word, and it's not. But I would also suggest that it's more doormat than how we think. And we're just going to see that. We're gonna, I'm going to try and work through the text today, and it may create more conversations in the future, and that's a good thing. You see, in today's passage and the next passage, Peter emphasizes submission in the life of a believer. Peter instructs us to submit as citizens. He instructs us to submit as employees. He instructs us to submit as spouses in our marriages. He instructs us as members of a Christian gathering or group or church to submit to one another. Well, wait a minute, Pastor Dave, but what what if I'm being asked to submit in an unfair or an unrealistic way? I'm not talking sinful. I'm talking perceived um, unfair. What then? Peter covers that. So God commands us to submit to authorities. For, Scripture tells us that those authorities are God-given. Now, submission doesn't mean slavery. Submission doesn't mean subjugation. It means recognizing God's authority in our lives and then submitting to other authorities who have been put in place over us. So because God is the one who establishes those authorities in our life, he's the one who determines how institutions in our lives should run. That includes our home, our human government, and the church. He also assigns to us, at different times in our lives, the role of being an authority over other people. 
But we can't properly be in authority until we are already under the authority of God himself. So in our passage this morning, which is 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 25, turn there if you would in your Bibles, Peter gives us three motives for submitting to authority. Three ways and reasons to be obedient and submissive in our Christian lives. Okay? The first motive for submission is for the sake of those who don't know Christ. We submit for the sake of the lost. Dear friends, Peter says in verse 11, and dear friends is a strong term of endearment. Other translations translate it beloved. Beloved, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. Let's stop there. Abstain from sinful desires. I mean, we know what those are. We don't need to see the lists, although we, we have them. Paul, Paul gives us lists. There are lists of sinful desires and, and, and sinful acts in, in the Scripture. We know what those are. We don't need more information, but what we do need is more submission. Live good lives among the pagans. And it's a challenge oftentimes to be in the world but not of the world because the battle is, is happening every day, every day, every day. You turn the TV on, you turn the radio on, uh, you go to a movie, you, you see a billboard. That battle wages war against our soul. But Peter says that we are to live good lives among the pagans, though... They accuse you of doing wrong. So he says, even when you are accused of doing wrong, you need to continue to do good deeds. Well, how fair is that, right? I mean, we want to arch our back and retaliate against that because that doesn't seem fair. Even when we are betrayed or we are ridiculed, we are to continue to live good lives. So, so why? So why? So that the pagans, those who haven't trusted Christ yet, will glorify God. You see, it's not about us. It's about him. And, and our culture and our, um, even, you know, our capitalistic republic can bring us, um, you know, some say democracy, um, can, can bring us to the point of thinking about me. What are my rights? What's my liberty? What's my freedom? <laughs> you see, as Kevin reminded us last week, as Christ followers, we are of another kingdom. We are part of another kingdom. We have to remember that as we live and raise our families in, in this kingdom, little world. We must get a handle on our identity. Jesus chose us even before the beginning of time. Think about that. If that doesn't drop us on our knees and cause us to, to just surrender and, 
and, and worship the creator of the universe when before he even created the universe, he knew you were going to be sitting in this room today hearing this today. He absolutely did. Having been drawn by Jesus into a relationship with him, it, we are in a love relationship with him. That is the priority. I mean, you know, husbands and wives, think about boyfriends and girlfriends. Think about your priorities in life when you are in love. You know, you wives, you can endure truck pulls and and car shows if there's love in the room, right? You can drive and spend hours and hours on the road getting very little sleep if, if your sweetheart is on the other end of that. You can, you can tolerate and sacrifice and forgive when that love relationship is, is just growing and thriving. And when our love relationship with Jesus, that's our number one. And when it is, Jesus says it in John 14, 15. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. When we love him, it becomes easier for us to keep his commandments because of that love relationship, that connection, because we want to. Yeah, there's times when I do something for my wife because I feel like I have to, out of duty. And I'm sure she appreciates those things a little bit. But when I do it, Whatever it is, because, because of my love for her, it, 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 it's just a, it, it's a whole different emotion and, and vibe in the room. There is something deeper to living in obedience because of devotion as opposed to obedience because of duty, isn't there? Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching, John 14, 23 records Jesus having said. Warren Wiersbe said this, During my many years of ministry, I have seen the powerful impact Christians can make on the lost when they combine a godly life with a loving witness. I remember many instances, he says, of some wonderful conversions simply because dedicated Christians let their lights shine. On the other hand, he says, I recall with grief some lost persons who rejected the word because of the inconsistent lives of professed believers. End quote. Our love for Jesus motivates us to obedience, godly living in a godless culture, which is what we have. When we went through the book of Acts, you remember me saying that we are not in a This is not a Christian generation. We are post-Christian. We are as close to the book of Acts as the book of Acts was in our nation right now. Our godly living in a godless culture is for others. It's so others will see the incredible, crazy, illogical love of Jesus Christ. As we love people illogically, they will see it. They will see Jesus in us. Even though you love them, they still may ridicule them or you. So do you just throw up your hands and say, well, forget it then? No. No, we continue to love as Jesus loves us. We forgive them. No, it doesn't make sense. And no, it doesn't seem fair. Because what about the Declaration of Independence? What about my rights? 
You see, we all deserve retribution, but that's not what we get from Jesus. No, we have received grace and forgiveness. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, right? Spitting in his face, rejecting him, and he still willingly went to the cross for us. We get grace and forgiveness and patience and understanding. And as we will see, that's what Jesus did. Not all people will see it when we do, when we forgive them or love them illogically, but some will. And it's for, their, it's for them that makes it worth it. It's worth it to see people perplexed and wondering why we would respond in the way we do. Why would we do that? Why would we go see somebody in the middle of the night? Or why would we put ourselves in an un- uncomfortable position? Or why would we give our money to help somebody who, who has never even necessarily asked it for us? Or, or, or who, who, who proclaims that, that they don't believe in God? Why would we ever do any of that? Because we ourselves have experienced the love and forgiveness and grace of Jesus Christ when we didn't deserve it. So let's submit for the sake of the lost. Second, let's submit for the Lord's sake. Look at verse, verse 13. Peter, it's, it's pretty clear. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God Honor the emperor. I mean, it should go without saying, right? Everything that we do should be for the glory of God. But we need to be reminded of that. And unfortunately, it doesn't always work out that way in real life. But if we come at the different areas of our lives with this attitude that we're submitting for the Lord's sake, it will actually be easier to submit. As Christians, as Christian citizens, Peter says, submit to the authority given to human government. Emperor, governors, no way, right? Right? All right, so let's just tear that page out of our Bible. We would like to, but we can't. Let me get really practical here. We have to. We must. It is absolutely imperative that we, and I know not everybody goes here, but we must be careful what we say and what we share on Facebook. Period. There is no faster way to discredit yourself before hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people than to post a snarky, albeit funny to you in your mind, political post about someone or a post that judges a whole group of people, whether they be sinners or saints, on Facebook. But we do. You see, when we do that, we become the ignorant and foolish people. 
who are, who are not loving. I mean, I know you, you think, well, I've got this point of view, though, and I need people to get it, and, and if I'm harsh or if I'm just in their face, they'll get it. They won't. It doesn't work that way. How, how many conversations have you had via text message or on Facebook that weren't live that went the way you wished they would have? And, and what we end up with is a group of people who agree with us, and we say, yep, see, I'm right. And, and we absolutely disillusion a whole other group of people who decide in that moment that, well, you're a Christian and you say this, but so everything that you have said, I'm going to discredit. You see, we can disagree, but we can disagree in a loving way. And I, I don't, for whatever reason, it just seems like our entire culture doesn't get that today. Right? But we would like to point at the culture and say, see, it's all of them out there, but we are... We become a part of that, and we need to be careful. Paul, or Peter, says, well, look at verse 17. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Now, I know what you're thinking. Well, there's lots of things you're thinking right now, and I don't want to know what some of them are, quite honestly. But what about if the government wants us to do something that is against what the Bible tells us? That's probably one of the first thoughts you had. Um, I don't have time to go there today, and I would love to, but uh, if you look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, when they were carried off to Babylon, and they were going to be forced to eat all of this food that went against what God had commanded them to eat, did they say, King, you're an idiot and we're not going to do that? No, in a very loving way and in a very obedient way, they said, hey, how about if we did this? Let's just do a test. Let us eat our food that God has commanded us to eat, and, and you can compare us to the ones who you have said can eat whatever, and let's see what happens. So they were, you know, politically moving in that situation, so to speak. There are ways in which we can be opposed to things in our culture and in our government where we're not giving up the foundation of what God has given us, but yet we can do it with love and respect to everyone Loving the family of believers, fearing God, and honoring the emperor. Submit for the sake of the lost. Submit for the Lord's sake. Now, let's look at verses 18 to 25. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. 
For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and simply endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were sheep going astray. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So number three this morning, we are to submit for our own sake. Peter seems to be addressing some Christian slaves who were, maybe they were slaves, maybe they were in a a Roman household and they had surrendered, they had believed in Jesus Christ, they had become Christians, and now they're demanding their rights. They think that now that I'm spiritually free, then the rest of me should just be free. And it was causing problems. Now, eventually, the Roman government was overthrown and slavery was abolished there. Hear me out. Slavery was and wherever it still exists today is evil and wrong. But Peter says that even in extreme cases where we find ourselves in unjust situations, that we are to reverently submit ourselves out of fear of God. Today, this can be applied, I think, to employees, even when we are treated unjustly, even when you have a boss who is just relentless and just won't give you a break. Hopefully, you bosses in the room, that's not you, not giving your employees a break or being fair. But Peter is saying we are to endure it with love and forgiveness, and we are to not retaliate. No way, right? But I deserve to. He deserves to get his, or she deserves to feel the way that she's made me feel. That's not what Peter says. It's not what Jesus says. We are to endure it with love and forgiveness and not retaliate. We all must submit to it. Submit for our own sakes, Peter says. This is the new lifestyle. Now, Peter, I don't think Peter's saying, well, you need to just stay in that job forever. You know, we we do have the freedom to quit if we're not under contract. Again, there is integrity involved in that. But this is where we start. This is the foundation There may be changes that need to be made, but we need to move in that direction with love. Not force, not anger, not retaliation. That we need to leave to God. Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 16, again, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. 
Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord, but I want to. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. In the suffering that we experience due to unjust treatment, Peter says to remember Jesus' response. As we celebrate communion this morning, may we remember these three things. Let's thank Jesus for these three things. Let's submit to the same way of living. First of all, Jesus is our example. Over and over and over again, Jesus responded to those in need. Um, He shows us how he responded to those who made mistakes, who failed, who denied him three times, stuck their foot in their mouth. But the example that he left us in how he responded in the seven days leading up to his crucifixion, like a lamb to the slaughter, Silently, unlike a lamb, silently. He didn't retaliate. He could have. I mean, don't we cheer on the good guys in movies where there's bad guys? Don't we, if I may admit this, wish the good guys to kill the bad guys in the end if they were just really that bad? And we sort of smile and think, well, he got what he deserved. Fortunately, we can think that way in our everyday lives, not on killing someone, but maybe wishing they would experience some hard things in life, just like maybe they have caused in our life. No, we, we can't do that. We, we must live as Jesus did. He endured the injustice. He didn't deserve it. He was completely innocent, unlike us. Yet he quietly and without retaliation went to the cross. I am so glad God didn't do that. Ah, you humans, zap, 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 and we would deserve it. God didn't do that. God didn't do that. What would, what does that look like in your life? Today, tomorrow, next week, what does that look like? Living as Jesus did, quietly um, enduring some unjust things and not retaliating. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Jesus is our example. For whatever reason, I... It's like the fourth grade just popped into my head. We were playing football, or we were going to play football at recess out on the football field. They wouldn't always let us go out there, but this particular day, they were going to let us go out there and play football. And there was this one young, spoiled, rotten, rich kid in the class below me. He always got what he wanted. Always. Always. But we didn't really like to play with him because he was the biggest crybaby, I think, in the school. 
And he came after me, swinging. And you know what I did? I got on my hands and knees, and I hunkered down, and I covered up. Now, some might say, you big sissy. But I had it in my head that I wasn't going to retaliate. I wasn't going to be the one to, you know, if you want, fine. If, you want to, if all the other people want to call me a wimp and, you know, I don't stand up for myself, fine. You know how that turned out for him? Not so good. He got in trouble, not me. Now, had I retaliated and returned a punch or two? Don't you think we both would have been punished? When the world sees us not retaliate, they go, wow, that's just weird. And then we have an opportunity to say, yes, and Jesus did this very thing for me and for you. And they will hear it because we haven't gotten in the way. Jesus is our example. Jesus is our substitute in his death. This is why we have everlasting life. Not because we're good. Not because we can endure unjust um, you know, uh, steps from other people or that we submit to, to certain authorities. No, it's because Jesus. Isaiah 53, 5 through 7. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. Sounds a little bit about what Peter was saying, doesn't it? See, Peter knew the Old Testament scriptures. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. This is the prophet Isaiah, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus came. Prophesying. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. It's our garbage that Jesus endured the cross for He was oppressed and afflicted because of us. Yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. As we celebrate communion this morning, think about Isaiah 53, 5 through 7. Peter says in verse 13, 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Oh, what a gift. Jesus, so that we might be healed, was wounded. Jesus died so that we might live. Is that illogical? He lived, we died with him, and so we are dead to sin. We can live in righteousness because he bore all of our sin. Jesus was our substitute, and this morning we remember. Not our right living, or even because we choose to live a different lifestyle. That's not why we are saved. We make those decisions because we are saved, because of our love relationship with Jesus Christ, our Lord. He is our example. He is our substitute. And finally, Jesus is our shepherd. He shields us. He protects us. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. He has put us back in the fold to protect us. In the Old Testament, the sheep died for the shepherd. You know, they, they provided clothes for him. They fed him. But at Calvary, the shepherd died for the sheep. 
As sheep we have gone astray, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are ignorant and lost and wandering and in danger, often far away from places of safety and unable to help ourselves. But Jesus, the good shepherd, died for us. He has returned us to the safety of the fold. So it is in that safe place that we submit ourselves to the authorities over us. It is in that safe place that we live godly lives, submitting in times of suffering, following in Jesus' footsteps. It's in that safe place that we submit and obey, not only for the sake of the lost souls, but for the Lord's sake and also our own. So that we might grow spiritually and become more like Christ. The unsaved world is watching us. The unsaved world is reading your Facebook posts. They are seeing how we respond to life on a daily basis. We have a huge opportunity Tuesday, whether your candidate wins or loses, to continue the next day to live in the hope of Jesus Christ and to love those around you. I don't care, I do because I don't like it, but I don't care if they rub it in your face. Please consider what Peter says. Please consider how you might love them into the kingdom. Not retaliate, not make them feel the way that you do. Because they're going to be winners and they're going to be losers on Tuesday. No matter which side we end up on, let's be Christ-like. Let's continue to hold on to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Rachel's going to come up and play as we partake of communion. Those last three things are the things that I want us to remember as we partake of communion this morning.